Julia Cameron is often referred to as the High Priestess of Creativity and has authored more than 40 books. Her best-selling title is called The Artist's Way, A Spiritual Path to Higher Creativity, and it sold over 5 million copies and has been translated into over 40 languages. I love it, and I'm a huge fan of her Morning Pages ritual, where you spend the start of each day with stream of consciousness journaling and figure out what it is that you want to create in the day ahead. She is also a poet, songwriter, filmmaker, and playwright. Julia really can do it all. Join me for this inspiring conversation on how to unleash your creative potential. It's such a pleasure to have you here, Julia. You know, we've been big fans of you at, at, for a very long time. And you know, you've had such a, a tremendous, a very positive effect on so many people's lives. So first of all, thank you for all that you've given to the world. Thank you. So I wanted to read a poem because I believe that a lot of times we think that creativity is born from pain. Uh, we have a uh, mythology that says it's painful uh, and we can therefore create. And what I have found is that sometimes creativity is born from joy. So I wanted to read a poem that was born from joy and uh, I dedicate it to your magazine. Thank you, beautiful. Well, it will, actually, we'll, we will make sure to have that poem have its own page in the magazine. We'll give it space to breathe. Beautiful, please go, go ahead, the floor is yours. Okay. Come to me. There is no darkness in which I cannot see you. Come to me. Your green heart, my green heart holds your ancestors. They are waiting to hear your dreams. Speak to them. They know your name. Do not imagine you are alone. Do not imagine they have left you. They are listening, waiting for your voice. Come home. All of us are waiting. Every bird remembers you. The lion in his pride still knows your name. The gazelle, the snake, the silver heron lifting at the shore, all these and more, your family. Come back to me. You do not need to grind your bones to dust rusting your heart. You are known to us, only come home. It's beautiful, thank you. Wow, very moving, very moving. You know, well, it's alluding to many things there. I mean, you know, the, the idea that you're not alone, very strong that we all have the ability to reach out. This is something that we will talk about that is a, a big part of, uh, you know, the listening path as you teach, is that we really aren't alone and that there are ways to access many different voices and, and have guidance. And I guess it's interesting you mentioned that it came from joy, uh, this poem, because it has quite a, a mix, it seems, of joy, but also some slightly heavy things in there as well, right? It's a loneliness is, is not, uh, you know, is by no means a, a light matter. But um, I like that. I liked what you said about the the fact that the artist doesn't have to create from pain, uh, you know, trying to break that stigma. This is something that you also highlight quite often in, in the artist's way is that 
you know, there, there's this cliche of an artist, uh, this caricature is someone who's broke, promiscuous, uh, you know, always struggling, I don't know, addicted to drugs, whatnot. Uh, but uh, an artist doesn't have to suffer in that way, right? And that's where the line goes, you do not need to grind your bones to dust, rusting your heart. Wow. Did you do that at some point? Did you, uh, did you suffer in that way? Well, I think before I stopped drinking, I was driven by my ego uh, mm -hmm. and I wanted to be brilliant uh, and I wanted to be the very best. Uh, and so I would write and rewrite, grinding my bones to dust, rusting my heart. Ouch. You also highlight the, you know, the dangers of perfectionism as well, right? Uh, which also has to do with that to some extent, right? Uh, not, not being too harsh on yourself and allowing things to create. Not, uh, does that make sense as well? Yes, I think, uh, I think perfectionism is a demon that besets many people uh, and keeps us from moving ahead in our art. We want to do it perfectly. So we measure ourselves against the work of masters uh, and we come up short. Uh, and what we don't realize is that the attempt to be creative is enough. Yes, I mean, that, that's a very, it's a very profound thing. I mean, you know, you talk about in the artist way, you even you even name your inner critic. I think you named him Nigel or something like that. Yes, Nigel. Nigel's <laughs> been with me since I was 18 years old. How is Nigel doing these days? Well, Nigel has a is perched on my shoulder right now saying, I hope you're articulate, Julia. <laughs> well, I hope you don't pay much attention to Nigel, because obviously you're fantastic and uh and so full of wisdom. I mean, just already doing this dance right now. I'm, we've only started. And I can already. I'm already feeling the rhythm, and, and I'm loving it. So, you know, it's interesting. In the book, you, you you do mention in the artist's way different guides, but I don't think you. I'm not sure if you you actually give a name to your creative self because you've got you you know. There's this idea, I guess, of uh, you know the intellect versus the heart, and you know Nigel, I guess, is the intellect or something. But you never really. I'm not. You don't in, in the same way because I guess you, you wanted to make Nigel into a caricature perhaps not to take him too seriously, but you don't actually name the heart that I'm aware of, or maybe, is that right? I don't name it. I don't name it. It's something that I feel uh, is broad reaching and free. Uh, and if I have a nickname at all for the heart, it's LJ for little Julie. Uh, and I would encourage people to nickname L-E, Little Etan. <laughs> Thank you. I like that. Well, that, that is your inner child, right? Uh, to some extent, not just, right? It's broader than that. But you do, to some extent, the LJ is, seems like that, because you often use that when you're asking for guidance. Uh, yes. And, yeah, which is, you know, a very powerful tool. So, okay, we're going to go through some bits of both books. But just to be clear, the artist's way... I mean, it has had such a tremendous impact. And could you ever have imagined that it would reach so many people? I mean, just, a, I think I checked on Amazon. I think, uh, I think it had like, 
what was it Goodreads or something, something like almost 100,000 reviews, which is just insane. I mean, because, you know, yeah. And that, obviously that's just in the English language. Well, when I wrote The Artist's Way, I thought I was writing it for myself and about 10 friends. Uh, and I didn't dream that it would reach to millions as it has. But what I found was that I was writing from a spirit of service, trying to, to help those friends of mine who were blocked. Uh, and I think the spirit of service is what makes the book continue to, to be popular. Absolutely. I mean, it's a book that's so accessible and filled with so much wisdom. And, and I will say, in preparation for this interview, I wanted to do a, an accelerated course in both. So I, because I, I didn't have enough time. So, so I did that actually. And I found, you know, because for, for those who don't know, who are, are watching or listening, there are several things that are kind of the, I guess, the building blocks of, of the artist's way. There's, first of all, it's filled, the artist's way itself has lots of exercises, tons of exercises. And they're amazing exercises. They're so profound. Sometimes I'm blown away by the wisdom that, you know, that you channel to, to create those things because I mean, they're, they're just incredible. But in terms of daily practice, you have uh, the morning pages, which uh, are after we wake up, we rewrite with the pen and paper, three pages worth of stream of consciousness kind of writing and, and let things out. And I've been doing that every morning now for, for a few weeks. I have to say, I love it. And, and I think, I would like to think, we will see that I will keep doing it after this interview because I, I find it very, very useful. I feel like it's, I mean, again, we're, we're going to get into some, some strange territory to some extent, but I feel like it's unblocked things and I feel like I'm much more aligned and that, and I think doors are opening up for me, as crazy as that sounds. Like, I mean, I've always, I've been quite blessed. I don't want to not toot my own horn, but, you know, I've, I usually am able to achieve a lot of things that I put my mind to, but but I also can be a very harsh critic to myself. I definitely, you know, definitely can, can suffer from that. But uh, I don't know, it just it's, it's felt really good just also for my well-being. I feel like I'm more in touch with myself. You, you mentioned this idea in, in the artist's way that Jungians tell us that uh, the 45 minutes from after we wake up is when we're, our ego hasn't fully kind of come back to form and formed its defenses. So that's when we're vulnerable to get in touch with ourselves. And I feel like I can get so much insight into who I am. Uh, so that, that resonates with me tremendously, I have to say. So I, I want to you know, thank you for that. that. That is an amazing thing. And that's obviously a big part of the listening path, which we'll, we'll get to, because that's, that's part of listening. You say that writing is listening, right? Yes, definitely. And you even say, I like the, your play of words. A lot of, I, I love uh, wordplay. You also say that writing is also writing as an R-I-G-H-T. It's a way to write that's the world. Right. To that's align right. the world. Sure. Uh, and I feel that. You also, you also quote someone later, I think it's in the listening path, saying that, ah, oh, what is it? That listen is an anagram of silent. That's right. Right. That's right. Also, nice, nice. That's a great, great wordplay. So let, let me just uh, maybe just highlight a few things that really I felt, I felt were really, really powerful in the artist's way. And we'll, we'll move from that to the listening path. But I want to say just a few quotes for, for people who, who don't know. Uh, one, one is you say, our creativity is our gift from God. Our use of it is our gift to God. Accepting this bargain is the beginning of true self-acceptance. Yes. And that is so beautiful. And to highlight, you say, just to be clear for people, 
God can mean a lot of things. You don't necessarily have to be religious to buy into the artist's way. You know, it could be the God within you. It could be a lot of things. We even mentioned in, in the listening path, a friend of yours, I think, a minister who talks about a God within rather than your God who is out there. So creativity is life, right? Living is creating. Can you expand on that? Well, I believe there's a creative energy that runs through all of life. Uh, and I believe when you're working with the morning pages, you're tapping into that creative energy and you're becoming a part of a larger whole. Uh, and I think you become more authentic. Uh, you find yourself saying, I didn't know I believed that. Mm -hmm. And you find yourself taking small risks because there is no wrong way to do morning pages. So your critic, mine is called Nigel. So your critic sits on your shoulder and, and says, oh, Eaton, how could you say that? And you say to your critic, thank you for sharing. And you just make your critic into a cartoon character who is always negative. And when you have made him into a cartoon character, it makes it much harder for the critic to muster perfectionism as an attack. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you mentioned also, I think it was in the listening path, uh, that when you travel, sometimes there are times where you've skipped the morning pages and done it in an evening or something, but you don't get the same effect, right? It's not the same. Why is that? Well, if you write them in the morning when you're vulnerable and undefended, you're laying out a path for your day. You're laying out sort of a trail of choices that you will make that are positive. Yep. If you do them later in the day, you're reflecting on a day you've already had and you're powerless to change. So I, I think uh, it's very important to do them in the morning. Uh, and what I have said is that sometimes when I travel, I get up and I just rush out the door. And then at night when I'm in my hotel room in a foreign city uh, and I try to piece together morning pages, I realize that I have sort of wasted my day. Yeah. So that seed is a very powerful one in the beginning of the day, as you say, as opposed to just, I guess, this passive reflection. But you, you also mentioned, I think it was in the artist's way, that it could be useful to ask a question in a written form in the evening in order to let that kind of, I guess, I don't know, like just state for, for the morning pages of the following day. Is that right? That's right. I think uh, I do evening pages sometimes. And in them, I ask for guidance about how I did during the day and what I might do the next day. Uh, and then when I wake up in the morning, I find that I have been guided uh, and that there is a path ahead of me that looks clear. And so, you know, this is a very powerful tool to, as you say, to clear paths, to, to unblock people. You talk about how the morning pages can help us discover synchronicity or things will kind of fall into place. Synchronicity itself is a very, is actually a Jungian concept, right? Uh, 
you mentioned the kind of basic things will kind of fall in place. The universe will align itself to you if you have the right, uh, I guess, yeah, that right preparation each day is the idea, as I understood it. Well, as you write morning pages, you clear away your own debris and you find yourself able to hear your guidance more clearly. And when you hear your guidance more clearly, you're more sure-footed during the day. And you, you hear guidance and you step forward, taking what may feel like a small risk. And as you risk, you find yourself partnered by the universe. Things come into play, people, events, insights come to you. And I think that when you write morning pages, you are actually inviting this process to happen. Absolutely. Well, I have certainly felt, felt the process start happening for me. In, in a way, can, does most of the message in the artist's way really boil down to listening? I think that when we do morning pages, we are listening to our undefended self. We're listening to authentic parts of ourselves, to sort of whispers of guidance. Uh, and then when we take an artist's date, which is a once a week festive solo expedition to do something that enchants or interests us, we start to hear if you want the hum of the universe. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I have another poem that I would like to read, if that's Please. all right with you. Absolutely, um, go for it. It's called Jerusalem is Walking in This World. This is a great happiness. The air is silk. There is milk in the look that comes from strangers. I could not be happier if I were bread and you could eat me. Hmm. Joy is dangerous. It fills me with secrets. Yes, kisses in my veins. The pains I take to hide myself are sheer as glass. Surely this will pass. The wind like kisses, the music in the soup, the group of trees laughing as I say their names. It is all Hosanna. It is all prayer. Jerusalem is walking in this world. Jerusalem is walking in this world. So I love it. Another poem born from joy. Very, very joyous. That is beautiful. What is what is Hosanna? When you say it is all Hosanna, what does that mean? Celebration. Cool. So beautiful. And yes, the the looks from from people, how people can nourish us. That that is, and I love that line. If I the the line with bread, what was that again? It's a beautiful image. I couldn't be happier. Some what was it like? What was the line with bread? I could not be happier. If I were bread and you could eat me. Love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. Wow. There's a lot of powerful imagery in that. Wow. All right. So yes, thank you. I love that as well. Actually, if you could send also by email separately, I want to have those poems also. So it'll be easier also in a text form because I, I definitely want, want to, to give them space. Beautiful poems. We'll definitely uh, email them to you. So, and that, by the way, this is an interesting point, you know, 
you're such a creative person. You've done so many things from writing books on poetry to obviously there's the artist way to, you know, to filmmaking. Um, and you say that really all of us like have so much creativity in us. We, you know, you mentioned, I think it was in the artist way that you also used to be too harsh on yourself in terms of attempting to compose music because you came from a family of musicians and in their family, you know, you weren't considered a musician basically. There's even a story I think you mentioned about your brother where you had shared some pieces that you had composed and at first he liked it, but once you told him that you made it, uh, you know, he went back to his old way of thinking and thought, oh, maybe it's not that great. So talk to us, how, yeah, how do we, how does one, because you're, you know, you are the master of unblocking people. How does one, I guess, free themselves to be able to do that? You've certainly done that in your life, but, you know, we were always constrained and, you know, and we have people around us that affect how we see ourselves. How do we liberate ourselves to, to be all that we can be? Well, this is where morning pages come in because they're private, they're personal, and above all, they're secret. So in morning pages, we might hear, as I did, you will be writing radiant songs. Uh, and I read that and I thought, well, if I were musical, maybe. Uh, and then about a week later, I said, I can't write music. Uh, and the guidance insisted, you will be writing radiant songs. So the third time it came up, it was, you will be writing radiant songs. All right, I'll try it. And you listened. I, I listened and I was obedient. And I felt that I was being asked to stretch beyond my creative height. But I had learned to trust pages. Uh, and when they said, you will try it, I thought, all right, I'll try it just to hush it up. And what happened was I wrote my first song. It's awesome. It really is. And you talked also, you used the word stretching, to stretch oneself. And now this is something that also comes up on several occasions, certainly in both books. There's a quote, uh, actually, I wrote down from The Artist's Way, where you say, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, growth and resilience. And, and the quote is, selecting a challenge and meeting it creates a sense of self-empowerment that becomes the ground for further successful challenges. Running a marathon increases your chances of writing a full-length play. You believe that? I mean, to me, that rings true. Do you, I believe, do you believe that, that? Absolutely. I believe that as we risk the suggestion of morning pages, we become stronger. And it's, as I said, the pages are secret. Mm -hmm. So no one needs to know your, your fears, your trepidations, your reservations. And um, when you put them on the page, they begin to seem a little bit silly. And uh, there's a voice that comes to you when you write morning pages that's very sure-footed and very steady and very reassuring. And it urges you to just try. It's interesting. I mean, not only are they private, but at first when I, I was reading through The Artist's Way, there was a little bit of a trick there. It was a clever trick because it was, they were even private for myself because you say, you, you're not even going to read them. You put them away. And then later on, 
in a, in a later chapter, we actually do, we were allowed to go and take a look at our, at our morning pages. Not that I felt the need to go and, and read in general. Like I think you can go and see things in there. And to be, to be honest, my handwriting is so hard to decipher. <laughs> it's hard for me to even go back and, and read my own writing. But, but regardless, for me, the process of actually doing that, it does help me find my compass, as you say. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. More, that's a very good way to put it. And I think I'll steal it that morning pages allow us to find our inner compass. By all means, please go ahead. I'm sure I'm probably in paraphrasing something you said. It's probably yours uh, from anyway, but do you go back at all and read your morning pages? I mean, you have, because obviously you do them all the time, but do you, do you do that? I read the guidance that I get when I do LJ, can I have guidance about? Uh, and I'll go back and read that because it's very reassuring. I find that the voice of the higher self, which is what we're touching on when we do morning pages, is calm and sure-footed. And it says, there is no error in your path. You're well and carefully led. And so reading that is very reassuring. You're well and carefully led. Aha. So I think uh, that the responses we get from guided writing are actually answered prayers in retrospect. I like that. I love that. And, and that, that makes perfect sense to me. You know, you, you mentioned, I think this was, this was in the, the artist's way, you mentioned pain. And there you talk about how pain can get our attention to indicate that something's wrong, but obviously it doesn't need to be a way to drive your artistic self. We don't need pain but it can be a way to get our attention. And then you also mentioned that uh, jealousy can actually be a powerful tool. And you have this really cool exercise that I'll share in the artist's way that at least I found it quite useful. And I don't think of myself as a very jealous person in general, but the exercise was to create three columns. One was for you know, who you're jealous of. And then the other column is why. And then the third column was to take some sort of action to fix that, some sort of antidote or something uh, to this jealousy so because maybe if you're jealous of someone it means that you're, you're saying there maybe you're missing something in your life right yes the shorthand way for putting it is jealousy is a map uh, and i think i was jealous of lady playwrights mm -hmm. uh, and so then i thought well i better try and write a play uh, and i've now written seven plays and I'm no longer jealous of lady playwrights. I feel a sense of collegiality with them. That is really, really cool. Yeah, because that, that this notion that that it's a non that it's a zero-sum game that you have to compete. It's not, it isn't necessarily like that. There's room for all of us to flourish, right? I mean that's that's also one of the messages. Yes, I think we have a mythology that says it's crowded at the top and there's only room for a few elite people who are fearless. And what I have found is that people who create, create through fear and around fear, and they don't get rid of fear, they befriend it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that they find themselves they get in trouble, basically. Emboldened. Hmm. That makes sense. Uh, 
do you still feel, I mean, it is human to have fear. Do you feel fear still? I mean, does Nigel sometimes get under your skin? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I wrote The Listening Path, uh, and I found myself having Nigel hissing in my ear, saying, this is a book that's going to make people think you're too woo-woo. <laughs> we will get to that. Not at all, by the way. I love it uh, that you're actually going to some very deep stuff. We're going to get to that in a second. And it's a beautiful book. Honestly, again, I want to compliment you because, you know, it's a book also that people can read on its own. You don't have to read The Artist's Way. It does stand alone and it gives you the basic tools of morning pages, the artist state and walking, you know, in the listing path. So one has everything one needs already in there. And it's, it, is, it is a great book. Jealousy. This is something that doesn't necessarily, yeah, jealousy is a map. I love that. I love that notion. Something also you said, it's not exactly about jealousy, but you do mention that academics, I quote, know how to take something apart, but not how to assemble it. And, and so, you know, I, I guess that shows that they can have a, a dangerous effect on budding creatives, basically, right? Yes, I think uh, that they can be very threatened. I think a lot of times academics are people who have allowed their perfectionism to run rampant and they find themselves critiquing everything, not for its strengths, but for its weaknesses. Uh, and I think we know a lot about how to critique something, but we don't know how to say, oh, this is very good, do more of this. Uh, and I think budding creatives need positive reinforcement. And that is that they need to have what I call a believing mirror. Mm -hmm. uh, a believing mirror is somebody who mirrors back to you your strength and possibility. And I think budding creatives in academic settings are looking for that mirroring, but they may find instead a harsh critic and become discouraged. And critics, both whether it's, you know, I don't know, a professor critiquing or, or an actual critic uh, who is critiquing, you know, some sort of work out there in a newspaper, they often perhaps are jealous, right? Would you, or would you say that? Maybe, maybe, I don't know if that's fair to say. Not, not all of them, but perhaps some of them might be, if they're too harsh. Well, Francois Truffaut was a critic before he became a director. He says his criticism was harsh because he was a black director and not expanding his own creativity. I wrote a mystery novel called The Dark Room and it got 19 good reviews and I was thrilled. And then it got a negative review in all places, the New York Times. The critic was critical that my detective hero was a Jungian. He didn't believe in Jung. And so I found myself feeling ashamed, battered, very upset with the criticism. And then I realized, well, I have a sense of humor and I can get my power back. 
So I wrote a little poem. This little poem goes off to Bill Kent, who must feel awful the way that he spent his time critiquing Carl Jung instead of on the work I'd done. When people tell me that they are harshly criticized, I encourage them to write silly little poems. Uh, and when they do, they start to shake off the negativity of the criticism because they're exercising their creativity again. I love that. I mean, you do mention how, I don't remember, I think it was in the artist's way, a story about how one critic basically got a director to go to Switzerland for like seven years before he came back to Hollywood or something like that. Yes, that was because like of a heart. There you go. So they, they, they can have a very, very powerful effect. And to get out, of, we, we, need to, we need to know how to overcome these obstacles, which are inevitable in life. We're always going to come up against somebody who's going to say something nasty at some point, unfortunately. That is perfect. But we talk about the positive mirrors. What did you call it again? You mentioned the listening path again. What are they called? Believing mirrors. Thank you. And this is a fundamental point, really, the idea that we need to find people that will help us see ourselves, but also reinforce and nurture our risk-taking, our creative aspirations, as opposed to these people out there, like the critics or the academics or whatever, or just friends or family members that you know, can't help it, but to, to be very negative, basically. And we need, we need that support of these believing mirrors. We have to have that in place. Some people we can, we should call them and, and nurture those relationships. How do you find believing mirrors, I guess, is a, is a first question, because that obviously is a key thing. And how do you cultivate those relationships? Well, I think you listen carefully. Uh, and when you tell a story, you're listening for the, your listener on the phone to have empathy, sympathy, understanding. And when you find someone who has empathy for your big self and your little self, that's a believing mirror. And are you usually, are believing mirrors usually reciprocal? Would you find that we're not necessarily? Are we, are we a believing mirror to that person? Well, I recently went through a situation where I had a man who is a writer who was, for me, a wonderful believing mirror about my work. And he got a harsh criticism and he took it to heart and he shut down his writing. And I urged him to try writing again. He's been procrastinating about writing again and I'm trying to be a believing mirror to him, but I'm essentially powerless because the risks have to be taken by the person themselves. You can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped. Right. It's a, exactly. it's a very powerful thing. And you mentioned, I mean, you do, in the listening path, you do talk about, I mean, it's different, but, uh, you know, you talk about how, which I'll find it, you say that unsolicited advice is a major conversation killer and can sometimes approach bullying, I'm paraphrasing here, and you point out how much you hate it when people tell you what to do, you know, even if it's like quoting your own teachings back at you. So 
it's hard, right? It's hard to, obviously, we often want to give positive things. So I guess there can be unsolicited advice. It doesn't all have to be bad, right? It just depends on how, how it comes in there. But it is hard to, yeah, you can't, uh, at the end of the day, people need to want to change, right? Well, I, I think we can hope that we set an example. And I do believe morning pages are contagious, that we do morning pages and our friends notice a difference. Uh, and you say, well, actually, I'm doing an artist's way exercise. I'm doing morning pages. And they get very curious. Uh, and they say, well, what do you write? <laughs> and you say, that's personal. Uh, and you don't share your morning pages, but it's like you have uh, worn a wonderful cologne. People are attracted by the scent of success. It's true. It's true. Nobody talks about Fight Club. There's one of the rules of Fight Club. You don't share the morning pages. Uh, you just see there is. People know that there are morning pages. But yeah, you do, you do say what happens. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And I've already started evangelizing. So your morning pages, I've already had uh, a few friends that well, I've given the book already as a, as a, as a gift and, uh, and a friend who's also just bought it. So I am evangelizing already. Um, and it's a beautiful thing because, again, I, there's nothing religious here. It's something that can just unblock and really help people. So I think it is a, a very positive thing. I mean, going back to this unsolicited advice for a sec, because it was a bit, you know, just to also put that in perspective, obviously, you also have this notion that you mentioned the morning pages. We know best what's right for our lives. And the morning pages lets us be in touch with, with what we need and what we know. No, no external guru can tell us you know, what we need to some, right? Is that right? Well, this is where we come to the third layer of the listening path, which is listening to our higher self. And I think many times when we have a problem or an issue, we think, who can I ask about this? And we sort of canvas our friends because we have a belief that they are wiser than we are. And if instead we take pen to page and say, what can I do about X? And then listen, we find we have an inner resource, uh, an inner wisdom that's very sure-footed uh, and very calm it urges us to take risks, but it also protects us as we are taking them. Absolutely. Can you, can you give me an example? Well, so for me, when I was told I was going to write music, I thought, I'm 45 years old. If I were the least bit musical, I would know it. But the guidance kept saying, try. I was teaching and I was staying up in the Rocky Mountains with a girlfriend. And I said to her, when I ask for guidance in my morning pages, I get told that I'm going to write radiant songs and I think that's nonsense. Uh, and she said, well, why don't you go sit down by the creek? And there was a little rivulet of a creek running through her property. So I went down and I sat on a big rock and I was sort of half-assed meditating. <laughs> and all of a sudden I heard, 
My green heart is filled with apples. Your dark face is filled with stars. I am the one that you've forgotten. You are the one my heart desires. So dance when you think of me. Sing to remember me. Sing till your heart can see who we are. Dance when you think of me. Sing to remember me. Sing till your heart can see who we are. And I thought, oh my God, I think it's a song. I think it's a song. And I went running back up the mountain to my friend's house. And I said, listen, is this a song? And I sang it to her and she took a little Radio Shack. I don't know if you have Radio Shack over here, but a little electronic tape recorder, just a cheap little tape recorder. And she said, here, sing it into this. And I sang it into that. And later on playing it, I realized, oh my God, the guidance was right. I can write music. It's a beautiful song. And not only that, you can also sing it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you really can. Beautiful. So this is a very interesting thing to this, you know, this song came to you when you were out there, basically all of a sudden you were, you were listening to your environment and something from within you. Where did that song come from? How do you, how do you explain it? Well, this is what I meant when I said that life is a creative force. I believe in a line from Dylan Thomas, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. And I believe that when I was sitting by the creek and the creek was rippling past me, I was tuning in to the force that through the green fuse drives the flower. That's my definition. You know, people sometimes will, will say to me, oh, Julia, you talk about a spiritual path. Does that mean God? Uh, and I will say, well, you don't need to call it God. You can call it creativity. You can call it the higher force. You can call it the spirit of the universe. You can call it the muse. Many different terms if it's uncomfortable for you to say God. I have people saying to me, oh, it's a Sufi book. <laughs> or I recently talked to a Buddhist who was certain from reading The Artist's Way that it was a Buddhist book. I love that. I love that they can see their own, you know, their own reflection to some extent in it. Yes. That is very, yeah, very powerful and appealing to so many places. It's interesting. Okay, uh, that, that just brings me, it's a, it's a tangent, but walking, you mentioned also, is something that's a very useful way to reflect and, and tune into things. And you say that, uh, you also point out how it itself is utilized in numerous spiritual traditions from, uh, you know, Buddhist walking meditation to Wiccans walking to Glastonbury. And obviously, you know, people know about, you know, the Camino de Santiago in Spain or the Japanese have their, Shikoko 88 temple pilgrimage as well. So walking itself can be a very spiritual thing. 
But what, going back to what you're saying about, you know, but listen to your higher self, the listening path itself is very interesting because the first part of the book, just to, just to give the structure of the book to share with people, it starts from listening to the environment, and then it's listening to people, listening to our higher self. And then you don't actually say it this way, but I, I can call it listening to the afterlife. These are your friends in the afterlife. And then we say listening to heroes, our heroes, and then to silence, which and we say finding God in the silence or this creative force in the silence. And, and this is where, you know, as you're getting towards that second half, it's getting very, very spiritual because you're, you're actually, you know, you're sharing things that you wouldn't have shared earlier in the artist's way. These are, these are things that, as you say, they're kind of woo-woo, certainly something that readers of Watkins Magazine love, where you're saying relationships don't die. You know, people may die, but we can still communicate with, with our friends who have passed over. And then, then you go on to say, and not only that, we can actually reach out to people we've never met that may have lived way before us and try and get guidance from them. And, uh, you know, you give the example of uh, Brian, Bill Wilson, Bill Wilson, the founder, the co-founder of, uh, of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, is, is someone who's inspired you, who's one of your heroes, and that you, you like to reach out to communicate with. Is, is he someone you're still in touch with? Yes, definitely so. Uh, I believe he had the courage to found a movement, and it started out with two people talking, uh, and now it's millions of people talking. He had the courage to put on the page the steps that he had taken in order to have a spiritual awakening. I think when I go to him for guidance, he's very warm and reassuring and helpful. And you know, in some ways, one, one could argue that your, you know, the artist's way has contributed, you know, there are some parallels to, I guess, to AA in that it's also a system. It also has, I guess, well, 12 weeks rather than 12 steps. It also has a certain routine to it uh, and has also been something that's spread. I mean, and influence all lives. Do you, do you see a parallel in that or? I think that's what makes me ad admire him so much that he was graceful when things burgeoned further than he could possibly himself control. And I think for me, you know, the artist's way started out with my sharing my ideas with just a few intimates uh, and then they unblocked. Then I had a man who was a blocked writer named Mark Bryan. The book is dedicated to him because he said to me, where's the book? <laughs> and I said, I am the book. And he said, it should be a book. It could help a lot of people. So every week I would write, what does he need to know to unblock? And I sort of aimed an arrow at his heart. I think that the artist's way was born out of love and it was also born out of temper. I had a temper. I felt artists weren't being treated right. Mm. And uh, I thought, I'll just do something about that. That's when I began to use all the tools 
that reinforced the artistic identity apart from the critical environment. They're beautiful tools. And, and even, as you say, they apply to, to people who, who might only have, you know, only, because again, that's all very subjective, but have art, so to speak, as a hobby. So even lawyers, you know, can practice and do practice the artist way and can have the creativity either come into their work, but also as a side project. And if people all over society recognize creativity for what it really is, that will help enrich so many people's lives. So you certainly have done that and been able to grow in so many different, it seems like, paths. So it is, it is tremendous. You also mentioned Carl Jung as uh, someone that you like to ask for guidance from. Can you share what inspires you about Jung? And obviously, he's also a very supportive character influence for you. Well, he was a supportive influence for Bill Wilson. He encouraged Bill Wilson to believe in a spiritual path and to believe that a spiritual path was the way to conquer alcoholism. He was controversial in his lifetime. He was considered eccentric. Freud was considered hip. Freud appealed to intellectuals. And Carl Jung said, well, there's something to be said for mystery. And so I admire him for having the courage to talk about mystery. And I find when I write to him that he's more formal. Bill Wilson is like, hi, Julia. <laughs> Carl Jung is like, Miss Cameron. <laughs> And to be clear, for those who are watching or listening or reading this, you know, the way you ask for guidance, you, you know, you write your question on a page and then you write back their answer. This is the mode that it happens and it could happen any time of day or does it need to be within the morning pages? When does one do that? Well, I tend to do it at night, but it can be done in the morning. It follows on the three pages of writing that sort of clear the path. And I, I don't like to be too prescriptive uh, and say you must do it at X time. I think I've been prescriptive enough with saying morning pages. Uh, and um, I think it's important for people to find their own path. So one person may say, well, I write at noon for guidance and that works for them and that's fine. I think when we're talking about a spiritual path and the artist's way and the listening path are both spiritual paths, we need to have self-compassion. We need tolerance and tenderness for our own process because we often come to the books having been battered by the events of our life. And I think it's important to have a place where we're gentle. Well, that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and, and that's another reason to have, as you say, these, geez, um, why am I having, and why am I struggling with the believing, the believing mirrors? That was the term. I need to remember that the believing mirrors because that is a way to be kind to ourselves. Believing mirrors will help, will help us and foster who we are. 
I have a believing mirror, a woman named Laura Letty. She's been my friend for 30 years and she taught gifted kindergarten students. So when I talk to her, she has a great gentleness uh, and a, a great capacity to listen. I find if I call her up and say, I'm nervous, she may say, of course you are. Hmm. And that gives me permission to have my nerves and to be reassured. I love it. Yeah, you, men you mentioned her in the listening path beautifully. She sounds like such a, a wonderful believing mirror to have. Also, to come back to the morning pages as the last thing, you, you mentioned that before, because I do also want to give you an oracle reading before we sign off, because it's kind of, I know we've already gone over having so much fun here, but I expected the duration would be. But you, you say that morning pages as a form of listening, they also help us, the morning pages ward off difficulties and warn us when trouble is looming. Almost, I'm paraphrasing here, almost like ESP. Can you explain more like what that means? Well, I think it comes back down to trust. We write our morning pages, we play, we do our art estates and we walk. Uh, and what happens is we have intuitions and hunches. And I think we're used to discarding them and thinking, oh, that's too crazy. And instead with morning pages, we say, well, maybe I should take that seriously. Uh, and we begin to tune in. I think humans have wonderful antennae. And I, I think that the um, tools of the listening path are putting us back in touch with our antennae. And I have, you met Nick, who works with me, uh, and he's in the listening path. Uh, and he, um, he has a great capacity to hear. I will start to say something, and if I break off and don't finish my thought, he'll say gently, really? Uh, and then I will expand the thought. I think that when we are avoiding trouble, we need to have an inner Nick who says to us, when we start discarding our guidance, our inner Nick has to say, really? You really are uh, an example of, you know, someone who just, you know, just is born to create. I mean, we all are to some extent, but you have certainly unblocked yourself in a, you know, doing so much and it's, it's beautiful. And I've already enjoyed so many of your creations, you know, and I, and I feel I'm only at the tip of the iceberg at this point. <laughs>